Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, was Mill Street was the coldest place uh, last night. It really was bitterly cold. I mean, even where I'm sitting here in the studio, we're still at minus four degrees here in uh, Mallow. So I'm assuming probably Mill Street is even still uh, lower and uh, we're going to expect to be in the minuses, I think, for a lot of areas uh, today. And of course, people are still wondering, is there any prospect of a white Christmas? I know Met Aram uh, are saying that uh, it still remains uncertain what it's going to be like this time uh, next week. There's always a chance of a white Christmas, according to Joanne Donnelly. But the climate doesn't set us up for white Christmases that often here in Ireland because it's generally too warm. There's going to be a bit of a breakdown of this cold weather at the weekend and a lot of people will welcome that. But then it's going to get colder again after that. Now, not as cold as it has been this week, but they're still not ruling out what's going to happen over Christmas. And I saw Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather. He says that a white Christmas is long overdue in this country. It's the this the cold weather we're having at the moment is the coldest since 2018. And of course, it's the coldest December since that big freeze and that big white Christmas that we had in 2010. So Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather reckons this is the best chance we've had in a since 2018 of having a white Christmas. I don't know if everybody is looking forward or would like a white Christmas. Certainly children always dream of a white Christmas. But for others, if you need to travel, it really can be a nightmare. 0862103103. Texts and WhatsApps are up and running. And can we just start with that really sad news that's breaking uh, overnight of the Irish soldier serving with the UN peacekeeping mission in the Lebanon has been killed and another has been seriously wounded and I'm very conscious and aware of uh, obviously there's no names have been released at this stage but all the families have been contacted and they would have got that call in the very small hours of the mo- of the morning I imagine somebody turning up at their doorstep from the army uh, one family hearing that their son has died and another hearing that their son or husband has been seriously injured it's just God help the families because only recently we saw the last the battalion that had been over prior to this uh, group that are over there. It's, this is the 121st Infantry uh, Battalion uh, with Unifil and we saw those great scenes at the airport and they were being welcomed back and you could see oh, the tears that were being shed and what a great Christmas they were going to uh, going to have. But of course you knew while they were coming home for Christmas there was another group of soldiers who had just gone out to replace them and they would be away uh, for their Christmas and now to be receiving that news. So I'm very conscious of the families and some of them may be listening to us uh, this morning getting that absolutely devastating news and there's another family that were in my thoughts 
all day yesterday after the court case. And this was the case to do with the horrific death of uh, Mary O'Keefe from uh, North Cork. And of course, Michael Leonard, 63 year old from Kilmallock, he was sentenced yesterday to life imprisonment after pleading guilty to the murder of Mary O'Keefe. It was at a woodland in Donnerwell. It was back in February of uh, last year. But I tell you, the bravery, the absolute bravery of Mary's granddaughter, Nikki O'Keefe, who spoke on behalf of the family yesterday and she gave the victim impact statement on behalf of the family. And by all accounts, she was in tears. And why wouldn't she be when she was talking about her beautiful grandmother and she was talking about Mary's love of music, her love of dancing, but also her generosity and her kindness. And she said, Mary O'Keefe will be forever in our hearts. She's deeply loved. She's sadly missed and will never be forgotten. And I loved the line where she said, we like to think she's happy in dancing in the sky. Nikki, her granddaughter, told the court that her grandmother was known to the entire family as Mal. She would travel anywhere in Ireland for a dance, particularly if one of her favourite singers were, was playing. And when she was home, she had two radios playing, one in the kitchen and one in the sitting room. For fear a song might come on, I take it, that she liked. And if she had to go from the kitchen to the sitting room, she wanted to make sure that she heard all of the songs. So she had two radios uh, going. She was described as a talented knitter. And Nikki, her granddaughter, said she would give away the jumpers, the scarves and the blankets that she created. And if anyone insisted on paying, she would use the money to buy them a gift. Oh, goodness, what a gorgeous, gorgeous woman. When the family heard on the radio about a body being found at Donnerell, she said, we heard the devastating news that some poor family would be receiving little. She said, did we know that we would be the family receiving the absolutely heart wrenching news that it was our beautiful, kind, loving heart of gold Mal who had been killed. It is just so, so sad. So we think of all of the O'Keefe family. And, you know, I, I, what, what I loved about Nikki's victim impact statement was, you know, she put she put a face on Mary for those of us that didn't know her. And you, you almost felt you know, hearing the words that Nikki said about her grandmother, you almost felt she was kind of one of those women. You sort of wished that you had known her. And, you know, I'm conscious that there will be people listening to this programme this morning who were friends of Mary O'Keefe or perhaps even family members of uh, Mary O'Keefe. And all we can do is once again, as we did back in February when this of last year when this news broke, you know, just offer our deepest, deepest sympathies to all of the family because, you know, they're they're heading into their second Christmas without their beloved Mal. And it will be as difficult as it was uh, last year. But maybe, just maybe, that they might get some comfort knowing that the, the man who perpetrated this awful, awful crime and uh, murder, that he has been locked away and will be imprisoned for the rest of his life. And actually the judge yesterday, before handing down that mandatory term for murder, it was Justice Paul McDermott. He described it as the most horrific attack uh, carried out by a fire that led to this poor woman's death. He said there's been a terrible loss inflicted on the family. And he says, I can only express my sincere condolences to them. He said when he passed sentence, there was then loud clapping in the court from people who were known to the uh, O'Keeffe's. Just shocking, shocking, shocking case. As I say, we think of uh, Mary and all of her family and friends today. 0818 103 103. Um, 
John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp, the programme, to 0862 103 103. And a reminder that between now and Christmas, we have these super value gift cards to give away. They're e-vouchers. Uh, so we will simply, when we start giving them away, we'll just get somebody's email address and we'll be able to email it to you st- uh, straight away so that you might be able to spend it if you want to in the run up to Christmas. And we're doing, as I say, between now and uh, Christmas. And we'd like for some of the vouchers to be given away by way of a thank you to people. There may have been somebody in your life this year who has really, really kind and gone above and beyond the call of duty. Maybe it's a, a family member. Maybe it's a very kind neighbour. Maybe it's somebody that you work Work uh, with, or maybe it's an organisation in your area that you just kind of like to say a little bit of a thank you to. Maybe it's a teacher in your child's uh, classroom that you think has been particularly kind uh, this year. Just uh, let us know. Ideally, if you could write to us or if you could email in the details to Patricia at c103.ie or Cork today at c103.ie and just email the details into why you think this person deserves one of our 50 euro super value vouchers. And as I say, uh, no doubt there'll be little things that'll come up on the programme as well uh, during between now and Christmas where we'll think that they're worthy of a 50 euro voucher and we'll give them away that way as well. To Michael uh, O'Sullivan down in Castletown Bear who has sent me on a picture of his weather app when we're talking about the different weather conditions around the county and it was uh, three degrees at 10 o'clock in Cahar out on the Bearer Peninsula and when I checked my weather app I was minus four degrees uh, so so there is seven degrees of separation between us, Michael, when it comes to the temperature. But of course, it's always a little bit warmer when you're lucky enough to be by the uh, coast. A very different temperatures across the county. It's incredible, isn't it? For I know we're a big county, but how you can have all of the different temperature at readings. And Michael actually also sent me in a great message when I mentioned that I'm going to be talking about children's books and trying to instill in children the love of reading. Michael says, hi Patricia, Christmas is on our doorstep again and everyone will be dashing about for presents for their children and grandchildren but believe me, the best present and I mean the best present that anyone can ever give a child is a book for Christmas. I always give my grandchildren books for Christmas and for birthdays. Today the eldest is nine and all of them are fabulous little readers better than myself. They don't need money or toys as they have that in abundance. They really love their reading and they love it with a passion. All I do is find out the books that they want, pass it on to that fabulous bookshop in Bantry and they post them out to the children or the parents immediately. Never have to leave the house to get something for the grandchildren, just a phone call and a credit card. There's service and service with a smile at the bookshop in Bantry. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. Mother has spoken of her disappointment to learn that the opening of an autism, uh, two autism classes in her local school may no longer go ahead next February as planned leaving her son without an appropriate school place and to chat about the position her family has found themselves in this week. I'm joined once again by Elba Sullivan because I spoke with Elba in the past. Good morning to you Elba. Hi, good morning. How are you? You're very welcome. And I'm just told that there's breaking news on this and we'll get to the breaking news in a moment. But I suppose just to set the scene and to explain the background, it's the Douglas Rochestown Educate Together National School. Just explain to us how the two planned classrooms came about. For sure. So this school is where my three children attend and they're in temporary accommodation, moving into a brand new purpose-built building in January 23. In December last year, the NCSE approached the school and asked them to open classes for autism. 
the schools said they would in February 2023 when they were in their new building. And they proceeded on that basis. In September this year, they issued an admissions policy. Families applied. Ten, twelve families, I believe, were offered places and ten accepted them. So since October, we have proceeded on the understanding that those classes will open in February. And we've planned, you know, clean support in school with that in mind. And last Friday then, I got a call to say the NCSE had pulled their support for these classes. They'd no longer be happening. Now, just you explain know? to people the, N- the NCSE mm-hmm. is the National Council for Special Education. And you are right. They are encouraging schools to open up autism-specific classes. They are, absolutely. I mean, the model that the department has said is the correct model and they're supporting is the inclusion of children with additional needs in their community and appropriate school places to be available. So my child is in school, he's in second class, he has friends, his siblings are there, he's in his community. It makes total sense that he would attend an autism class in his community. In fact, the NCSE made amendments legislation recently to insist that schools have wording in their admissions policies to enable them to open special classes. So it's just a confounding thing to me that they were going to we have a principal who wants to open the classes. Yeah. The rooms are purpose built and they would just withdraw support for now, that did you did, did you find out why the NCSE was pulling the support? Well, the NCSE hasn't communicated proactively with me at all. I heard a number of comments from them. I would call them excuses, to be honest. Um, They say things like, there are other classes available in the city. Well, if there are, I don't know anyone who's able to access them. Last year, when I looked for a place for Killeen, we live in Rochestown. There was a place in the Glen for him. There was one place in Cork City at that time. So that would necessitate Killeen travelling across the city every morning, 40 or 50 minutes in traffic. And when I said to the... And taking him out of his neighbourhood, taking him out of the school where his siblings go as well. And when I said all of that to the Sino at the time, she said, oh, don't worry, he'll get transport. That's not That's the point. No, no, they're completely missing the point. Like, yeah. yeah, complete, absolutely, completely mi- missing the, the the point. So you then had this week of yeah. the worry, the stress and the strain. And, and now you're after getting a letter this morning. Well, it was a very difficult week. I, you know, will be perfectly honest and say we've lost sleep over it because even though there were some positive noises coming, how can I trust that these classes would open in September when they were pulled so arbitrarily? Um, So last night, late, I got a call from the principal to say he had indications he would be allowed to open the classes. And now this morning, I did receive an email from school to say Killeen has his place. So, you know, I'm thrilled for that, for sure. However, what it tells me is the decision to pull those classes in the first place was done very casually. Somebody somewhere said, oh, this is inconvenient. 
let's put a stop there. And I don't believe anyone thought about the 10 affected families, you know. And I mean, and would there be 10 spaces in other schools across? Not at all. The, yeah, because I've, I've spoken with Not other parents all. in the past who are frantically trying to yeah. get a place, you know, and they, they know they haven't a hope of getting one locally. They're willing to travel any length. And they, 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 they are. These places are not there. They're not there. I know a family who are travelling from Clannacilty to the Glen for a place yeah. for their child. Yeah. So it's a Cork County-wise national. Yeah, imagine in road national. conditions like we had this yeah. week with, with with the big freeze. It's just, and we, I know um, John Paul emailed the National Council for Special Education yesterday because we, we were asking those very questions. Why have you decided to pull on something that was ready to go has full backing of the school. I mean, the school, by all accounts, have been hugely supportive of these two hugely. classrooms. Yeah, they absolutely have. Like they've been very supportive of Killian all through his school career. Yeah, and you know, I can understand why they wanted to wait until they had a building to open these classes. They're very enthusiastically going for that now, and I really believe we'll be in those classes in February. It seems to me to send all the wrong messages to disengage people who are on board, you know, and to treat us with such disregard. It's so unfair. It's so unfair coming up to Christmas that you've had to have this unnecessary stress. And I'm assuming because Colleen is on the autism spectrum, they don't do change very easy. I take it there's been a lot of work on your behalf in preparing him and all the other families will be doing the same thing in preparing him for what's going to happen or what you believed was going to happen in February. Yeah, And you can imagine the comfort for us that while there's difficulty in preparing him, we're able to say you'll be dual integrated, you know, you'll be still with your teacher, Claire, whom he adores, and you'll also have the support of this special class. And Killeen is very aware of this and he wants be in the special class he wants to have more appropriate education for himself he's very engaged and when we told Friday that this wasn't happening he spent a very difficult weekend it ah. affected his sleep and his appetite yeah he's, I he was on the examiner yesterday and he was delighted to be able to do his part well you know but you know what 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 really deeply deeply saddens me Elba is that you have to go to these lengths, that you have to go to the papers, that you have to come on to the local radio station. To, you know, you, you shouldn't have to do that. Nobody you know, should have Nobody to. should, no, no. And you know, Patricia, I can see through all of this, none of it is clear cut. It was very difficult for me to get a straight answer from anyone as to what the process should be. You know, what our rights were. We'd been offered a place and it now wasn't there. Either nobody knows those answers or nobody is willing to take accountability and responsibility. And that is what I'm hearing from schools all over the country who are contacting me on social media to say they have very difficult relationships with the NCSC. Even where their schools are on board, they're being told a class will open October. Now it'll be March. Now it'll be 2024. That's not... That's not good enough, and it's and it's it's frustrating, it, and it's it, particularly when, as you said at the outset, the National Council for Special Education are not almost pressurising, but they're encouraging schools please yeah. open up these these classrooms because for whatever reason, and I don't know if there's ever been any research done on it, there are more and more children being diagnosed on the autism spectrum than ever before. There are, 
And that's a good thing for people who are autistic to understand their neurobiology and to understand how best they learn and what environment works for them. And it's good for us as communities to include people with differences in our communities and support them in the ways that they need. Yeah, we all we all benefit. And we all we all benefit. We all benefit. Okay, so did so is is Killeen aware of that he's probably already in school. Was he aware of the email this morning? He wasn't, no. no so no. I thought I'd just wait till I had it in writing before I know, I'd send I know, him anything else, I know. you know. Well, and, how is, and how is and how would, is he looking forward to Christmas? What would Christmas be like for him? You know, Christmas can be a funny time for lots of kids and autistic kids. There's so much excitement, but there's a lot of unknowns, you know. Will Santa come? Yeah. I really wish people would say to him, do you think Santa will come? Because know, we assure him Santa will come. And what will he bring and what will we eat and all those kinds of things. But he is excited. Is he? Yeah, because routine, routine is so important. It is. And December is a big month for him. He had his eighth birthday as did well. It, so he's it. had a lot of excitement. Happy birthday. Happy birthday yeah. to him. And that's a wonderful school, the, the Douglas Oceanstown Educate uh, together. And they, and they move into the new building. They're, we're moving in January. January. And you know, one point I'd like to make is that we chose that school because of its ethos. It matches the ethos of our family. We ourselves are multi-denominational and yeah. we are co-ed. We have boys and girls in our family. And it's hard to get co-ed schools in the city. Um, and particularly and a, brand, a brand new build. Yeah. yeah. And repeatedly I've been told Killeen can't be fussy about where he goes to school. You know, that he should choose wherever gives him a place where every child who's not disabled is entitled to choose a school by ethos their family is, you know. Um, and I think that's important. God, that's a cruel statement to make, isn't it? That he shouldn't be choosy. Well, I get this all the time. It's either explicit or implicit. You should be happy for what you get, whether it's health or education. Not that your child deserves support the same as your neurotypical child, you know. Yeah. And here's here's a typical example. And, and I know whenever we address issues like this or speak with parents like your good self, uh, Elba, will have other parents contacting us to say, hi, I have a son. He is five years old. I don't know where he will be attending school next year as I'm struggling to get him a place in a unit. Castle Lack wants to open up a special class, but they're struggling with the Sino. That's abandoned listener and a parent of a child with autism. There. Can I say I would encourage that family or that school to go to the regional manager in the NCSC. Often the CINOs are very overworked. I know, for example, our school has no CINO, so there are two vacant places in our area. But you have to be able to bring this up along. The patron of your school should support you in that and contact them. I believe there's a new head of operations in the NCSC who's very focused on having better relationships with families around these classes and I think that if community can come together hopefully and I'm happy to support anyone who needs well any done. advice on that well too. Yeah. Will we ever see the day where parents of children with special needs will be able to stop fighting? We seem to fight at every single turn. Like Patricia I've been reading stories in paper for years and I will admit I've thought oh you know I wonder did they try every angle? I know I'm trying every yeah. angle and it's always a fight unless 
you're accessing private services, the dynamic seems to be different. But we shouldn't have to do that yeah, at yeah. all. And not every family can afford that. Exactly. It's, it's a two-tiered a whole yeah. cohort of yeah. children were not able to access. Okay, service. listen, uh, listen. I'm, I'm glad that we've ended on a good with the with the good news of that email this morning. But uh, Elba, you're a fantastic advocate uh, on behalf of uh, Killeen. So well done to you. You're 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 a great mammy. Thanks very much. And that's much. what it's all about. Listen, we'll speak again, no doubt. But in the meantime, have a happy and a peaceful Christmas to to the entire household. And thank you so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks so much. I've said it countless times here on the programme that I think the greatest gift that we can give our children is the gift of a love of reading. So with Christmas nearly upon us, please remember books if you still have presents to buy for little ones this year. Joining me to chat about books is Elena Ryan. Now, Elena Ryan is CEO of Children's Books Ireland. Good morning to you, Elena. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the programme. How important do you believe it is, is it to get young children into the habit of reading books? So there are a couple of things. It's, it's really crucial. We spend a lot of time at Children's Books Ireland reading evidence from Ireland, you know, studies like Growing Up in Ireland that has thousands of children in it, as well as internationally. And everything points to the fact that reading just does astonishing things for kids. Amazing for literacy, for numeracy, for their general academic achievement, for their well-being, which is really crucial. Kids who read more for fun have better well-being than those who don't. Uh, And for the capacity for empathy, their ability to put themselves in another person's shoes and to try and understand an experience that isn't theirs. But we're also an arts organisation and we come from the point of view of just thinking reading is brilliant if you find the right book. So we, we're very careful when we talk to adults to say reading is amazing and it does all these things. But when we talk to kids to say, look at this great book, I think you'll like it, rather than telling them how good it is for them. Because sometimes I know, that can be counterproductive. I and, and I take it the earlier you start, the better. You know, I mean, oh, like the, bed, the bedtime so. story, for example. Absolutely. And from zero, you know, there there sometimes is a bit of a belief that you wait to read to kids until they're starting to learn to read. And that's not the case at all. The first three years of a child's life are absolutely crucial in terms of the experiences that they can take in and the, the, the formation of their cognitive abilities. So early years professionals will always tell you the first three years are essential. And we can see from the research that reading behaviour is predictive. So if you're read too young, you're more likely to read a bit more when you're able to read. And you're more likely to read a bit more when you're an independent reader at seven, eight, nine. And you're more likely to stay reading as a teenager. So all the way along, if you've been read to from the start and if there are books in the home, it's really predictive of being a reader later in life. Yeah. And do we, and, and I know we do, and why I'm asked this question, do we have a huge array of Irish writers and illustrators? Oh, yeah, yeah, and growing. Yeah. <laughs> so we run the KPMG Children's Books Ireland Awards. So every year we get submissions from publishers all over the UK and Ireland who are publishing Irish writers and illustrators. And these last two years have been phenomenal. So this year our judges are reading upwards of 130 books submitted by Irish authors and illustrators. And I, I suspect that's not all of them yet. And that's up from under 100 wow. uh, pre-pandemic. So it's, it's a growing industry. And, you know, some of them are huge names that people will know. And lots and lots of debuts. So plenty of talent coming through. Yeah, and I think what, what I love about buying an Irish book 
book for Irish children is you're, you're, you're able to identify with the characters more and I was watching uh, Lenny Henry who's I've got to say is one of my favourite comedians he was speaking with Graham Norton on the Graham Norton show and he was he was promoting to uh, a new book he has but he's also written a children's book and he said the reason that he wrote a children's book was he wanted to write a book about a character that he could have identified when he was eight and I just thought yeah. that's so important and it's the same for Irish children reading Irish books isn't it? Very much so. Like the richness of our, our language um, in terms of Irish language books and also our culture in terms of, you know, books like Girls Who Slay Monsters by Ellen Ryan that's looking at Irish goddesses and stunningly illustrated by Shona Shirley MacDonald. They're essential and also books that kids can see themselves in. So we have a, a reading guide of hundreds and hundreds of books, of books called Free to Be Me. And that's about folks who are maybe coming from marginalised backgrounds or diverse backgrounds. So you mentioned Lenny Henry. There are lots of studies in the UK around children of colour not seeing themselves in books and that number is rising in terms of the characters of colour that we see but we wanted to celebrate a collection of books that would have characters of all backgrounds, religions, races, socioeconomic backgrounds, neurodivergent characters, you know, so that every child feels their story is represented and they can see themselves positively in a book. Yeah, yeah, well said, well, well said. Do you worry, Elena, about the internet, mobile phones and so many computer games and, you know, everything seems to uh, revolve around technology at the moment that some children may fall out of the habit or the love of reading? Does that worry yeah, you? There's kind of a lot of things in the mix, I think, to be honest. And uh, like, you know yourself, that we, we've talked about it a lot, Patricia, ourselves, in terms of teenagers having so much choice. And I think, you know, things are very different to 20, 30 years ago. Kids have an awful lot more choice in terms of their after-school activities right from the very start of primary school. So you're not just competing with screens, you're competing with gymnastics and French and STEM classes and art classes and ska and music and whatever else. But certainly, like, there is evidence that shows once they get a phone in their hands, that reading does tend to drop off. So from our point of view, what you can do to kind of counteract that is try to take the pressure off. Uh, certainly if you have younger kids who are just learning to read, um, don't be pushing them necessarily to read hard books or long books or classic books or what you might consider excellent literature. You know, we, we try to recommend excellent books always, but all reading is reading. So, yeah, it doesn't um, matter. Yeah, It doesn't matter. Once they find something they love, you know, if, if it's comic books, if it's non-fiction, sports biogs, the newspaper, whatever it is, just keeping them reading and following their interests is really important. So if they are a sporty kid and they're out kicking the ball around all day, that's great. You know, it's brilliant to be out and be active. And maybe they'd like a non-fiction book about a sports person or a, a collection about sports people who have done amazing things or a fictional book that based on a team you know that kind of thing we try to, to work on a lot and follow the child's interests Yeah and I mentioned earlier that we were going to be discussing this particular topic on the programme and, and one of our listeners sent in a gorgeous text saying about his grandchildren and what he, he always buys books because he's a, a big advocate for reading and he says all of his grandchildren they're nine, nine and under they're all great little readers so birthdays and Christmas it's always books and what he does is he contacts his local bookshop finds out the book for mammy or daddy what you know what are they into at the moment what would they like gets the name of the book contacts his local bookshop who actually then posts it out because obviously all the grandchildren Perfect. aren't living around and I just thought what, how fantastic and, and also you are supporting the independent bookstores and exactly. that's something it's we so need vital. yeah and yeah, we so yeah. I, I bemoan whenever I hear of a small little independent bookstore going because it's when they're gone we'll really realise the value of them 
Oh, it's crucial. And I know, like, life is busy. And during the pandemic, we all got so used to ordering online. But you can order online from the Indies as well. Like, if you are in a small community that maybe doesn't have that independent bookshop that you can lean on as a resource, you know, there, there are plenty that you can order online from that are Irish bookshops. Like, we have two amazing um, children's bookshops halfway up the stairs and Tales for Tadpoles that are children's only and they're in Dublin and Wicklow um, and there's also Kenny's in Galway that will deliver anywhere in the world uh, you know I think that there are plenty that will do that for you and it, you know even picking up the phone to Dubray or Pipes and Scribes or Washstones whoever yeah, it is they will yeah. do that for you Yeah it's fantastic it's fantastic and listen Children's Books Ireland you're a charity We are we've yeah. been around for 25 years okay. we're a very well kept secret You are indeed <laughs> <laughs> Our role is very much about getting kids reading for fun, Patricia. So we're we're all about making it fun, making it enjoyable, making it kind of light, and making sure that every child has access to a book. You know, not not every child is lucky enough, like that lovely grandparents to have someone in their lives who encourages them to read and who makes sure they have a book in their hand. So we we do an awful lot of work across a wide spectrum. Part of it is giving information to adults about what's great. Uh, part of it is supporting our Irish writers and illustrators who are doing such amazing work. And a big, big part of it is what we call book gifting, which is effectively putting a book into the hands of children, whether that's in a community or a hospital or through their schools, who might not otherwise have books at home. OK, well well done. And uh, Betty, one of our listeners, says, uh, Patricia, give a big shout out to the libraries. We have a wonderful library here in uh, Mallow. Uh, I regularly bring my grandchildren there and the staff are beyond helpful. Libraries are Here, great. here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Cork libraries do such a wonderful job. During the Children's Book Festival in October, there's always a really extensive programme of events and even right through the year, you'll find authors and illustrators in local libraries and reading. They're really super, super Okay, and somebody else says, I've got young nieces under the age of 10. Love, I would love the idea of buying them books. I'd never thought about it until I tuned into the radio uh, now. Oh, fantastic. Uh, how, how do I know what books they like? Am I better off asking their parents? Well, oftentimes it can be really great to get a national book token. So yeah. if you give them a book token, they can use it in pretty much any bookshop and it will allow them to pick. So if it's a child who isn't your own child, whether they're a niece, nephew, neighbour, whatever it is, and you're just not sure what they have, you can either you know, ask the parents what it is they're into, if there's a series or something that you can get the next instalment in. But I find that Christmas time, so many books are flying around as well, that a book token lets a child go into a bookshop and kind of opens up a world of choice to them. Yeah, so if you're that's uncertain, a good, yeah. that's a great idea. Yeah, that is good. Okay, listen, Elena, I've loved our chat. Thank you for that and uh, continue good luck of the work of Children's Books Ireland. And I know on your own website, there's loads of suggestions and choices uh, around books. Listen, Elena, thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia, for your time today. And if, if folks do want to support us, they can go to childrensbooksireland.ie and donate this Christmas so that we can continue giving books out to children who might not otherwise have them. We really appreciate any support. Well said. Childrensbooksireland.ie. Happy Christmas to you. Happy Christmas. And thanks for joining us. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Dermot and Glasheen listening to my chat with Children's Books Ireland about trying to instil in children the love of reading and to please consider giving books this Christmas. Dermot says what he finds is there's very few books Osquelga for children on the market today and he also agrees and he always likes to support the local smaller uh, booksellers. It's so important that we keep our local bookshops uh, going. Actually Dermot what I would suggest you do is if you go on to the website of 
who Elena represents childrensbooksireland.ie they have a brilliant section um, when you go to their home page there's a section that says recommendations and if you go into that you can actually put in the age range of the child that you're looking for a book for and they break it down through all of the different you know 0 to 4 5 to 7 8 to 10 10 to 12 12 to 14 young adults uh, and then you can put in the category and under category they do have Irish language and I just quickly when I saw your call come in I, I quickly did it now there isn't as many as you'd find under the English language ones but there are there are a number of books Osquelga. so if you go in search of them and definitely if you go onto childrensbooksireland.ie you'll see a number of recommendations I just don't know what age group of child and children that you're thinking of of buying Irish books for but yeah and I think with the Gwail Scholar and more children going to the Gwail Scholar I think more and more parents and grandparents and the aunties and the uncles will be looking for the books Osquelga to give to the children who are attending the Gwail Scholar Thank you for your call uh, Dermot Fremont Music and Drama Group have been on want me to remind you that they are holding a concert in the community centre in Fremont and it is happening on Saturday night at half past seven. Now, it's a concert that is really is full of variety. You know, they're going to look at some of like the, the more famous West End shows, things like Annie and Les Mis. But it's going to be mixed with Irish music, song and dance. And it's a fundraiser in aid of the local community development and the local GAA. And that's on in the community centre in Fremont this Saturday night at half past seven. And they're lucky that they're having it at the weekend because the weather certainly is going to be a little bit kinder temperature wise. So there shouldn't be an, an issue with a big freeze on that might stop people going so um, enjoy that everybody who is attending and I'm also by the way for people in Mallow and the general Mallow area who perhaps come into Mallow to do uh, shopping uh, we're getting reports in from the the Dunn Stores car park in Market Square. There's a big underground car park there that's been open since that shopping unit opened and it's always been free with no restrictions. There are barriers when you go in but they've never been in operation. It seems now they have started to operate time limits on parking. I think it's four hours and if you don't abide by the four hour rule are, what I've also heard, if your wheel is over on the white line of the parking space behind you, cars are starting to be clamped and we're hearing of some people who got clamped this week. And I think it's €125 to have your clamp removed. And a week out from Christmas, there's not a lot of people can be affording to hand over €125 because you didn't know that the parking regulations around that particular car park have have changed. So just to give that out as a warning to people going to uh, Market Square, to the shopping centre there, be very, very careful when you're parking your car. And it's one of those car parks for people who don't know it where the parking spaces are very tight. They really are very tight. I put my hands up and say, I'm not the greatest parker of cars in the world. (laughs) I like to give myself as much space as uh, possible. And inevitably, I might be ever so closely over on the white line. Now, I know I'll have people saying, well, you shouldn't be over on the white line. There's a parking space there for a reason. But when you have very tight parking spaces, it's trying to judge it and get the car in exactly within the white lines. But seeing if you're not within the white lines, you could end up with a clamp on your car for €125. Now we're looking into it and we I don't know, we probably won't get to it today, but we'll certainly do more on it uh, tomorrow. But I just give it out as a warning. And if anybody has a story to share with us, I'd love particularly to hear from anybody who got clamped in the last number of days and what was the situation with the uh, clamping. 0818 103 103. Now yesterday on the programme we were speaking with 
Fine Gael Dáil Deputy Colin Burke. Now, we had initially invited him onto the programme to talk about the new elective hospital that's planned for the for St. Stephen's in Glanmire. And he was saying that we so need this hospital, not just for people in Cork, but for the wider Munster area. And he wants the whole thing expediated and he wants the planning process speeded up and get it out to tender, you know, and get shovels in the ground and get the work going on that particular hospital. But that then led to me asking him about GPs and lack of GPs because just coincidentally we started getting calls in from people who were having difficulty accessing their own GP to try to get in to get an appointment. Some people saying they were told they'd have to wait a month for an appointment with their GP. Others were saying that they were finding it very difficult and that their GP was only offering a telephone consultation. Not everybody was happy with that. Now on the flip, we had other people contacting us about their GP practice saying they're wonderful and they're not having any problems at all. So it does vary from practice to practice and it depends on how busy the particular practice is. And when I was speaking with Colin Burke yesterday, I happened to mention that he was part of the Oireachtas Health Committee and yesterday, while we were talking, he was, after he left us, he was going straight in to that committee meeting because, lo and behold, the members of the Irish College of General Practitioners, they were going in to talk about GPs in this country and the crisis that is facing GPs in this uh, country. And it is a growing crisis. This is something that hasn't happened uh, overnight, but it is. And again, no surprise to read from that committee meeting yesterday. It is mostly affecting people in rural areas, but it seems to be also affecting poorer areas of large cities. The committee heard yesterday from the Irish College of General Practitioners that 500 GPs are getting very close to retirement. So if we lose another 500 when we're already struggling, you can imagine what the situation is going to be like. Now, the Irish College of General Practitioners, their medical director is Dr. Dermot Quinlan, who I'm sure I read somewhere is a Cork GP. I think he's based in, in Glanmire. He said that many practices cannot take on new patients. We're hearing that all of uh, of the time and he's also accepts that waiting times to get in to see a GP are increasing particularly for non-urgent care. He says we know that in the last three years the HSE has spent 1.3 million on GP locums just on the island of Ackle alone so they can't get a permanent GP to go out onto Ackle so they end up having to fund locums and it's cost 1.3 million in the last three years he also went on to talk about they know of towns in North Cork that the number of GPs have, has fallen from 18 to 12. They spoke about Carsivine. They have a very small number of GPs left. And they all, he also spoke about Skibberine, that Skibberine has lost a substantial number of GPs. He said the challenges are enormous and they're widespread, particularly across rural areas. About one in five GP practices are run by a doctor working alone and then there's another 20% are very small practices where they only have two doctors and of course the big problem is the doctors that has a solo practice if that solo doctor decides to retire or move on then that leaves that area if it's a rural area it leaves that area without a, a doctor and also in some cases the doctors particularly those ones that just just two GPs in the practice they can't always find replacements which means if God forbid they need to take some sick leave they have to try and take some holidays even though I take it some of them aren't even getting holidays that that's having a massive impact on the lives of the doctors but it's also stopping people from looking at a rural area and saying well I'll go work there as a GP I mean if you're if you know 
though you're going to find it difficult, you're going to have difficulty finding a doctor to replace you if you're sick or if you want to go away on your two week summer holiday or you want to take a break over Christmas and there's nobody there to fill for you. Certainly will turn some of the younger doctors off. Now, the Irish College of General Practitioners, these figures are mind blowing. They estimate six thousand doctors are needed. Now, the reason that they come up with the figure of 6,000, they say that many are choosing part-time work. But if you were to just look at full-time, if we were just looking at full-time, they say 4,000 full-time doctors are needed by 2028. And when you look at the figures at the moment, we don't even have uh, 2,000, 3,000, sorry. At the moment, we don't have 3,000 full-time GPs working. So we are way, way off the mark. The Irish College of General Practitioners said it's worried about plans to expand free GP care to a further 400,000 people in April. Dr Quinlan uh, said we have good statistics that this will require at least an additional 640,000 GP consultations per year. He said the plan will mean patients will find it increasingly difficult to get seen within a reasonable time. And there's always been that theory that if you give somebody access to something free. If you give people a free GP card, which means they can go into the GP for free and then they just have to pay for for their meds afterwards, people will more than likely attend for a minor ailment. Whereas if they were asked to pay, what is it, about 60 euro now to go to the doctor? If they were paying, they might instead say, well, maybe I'll just go into the, maybe I'll go into the chemist and see if they can sort me out or maybe I'll struggle on for another couple of days and see does it remedy whatever the ailment is itself but because something is free more and more people attend the practice so if there's to be an extra 400,000 which obviously the 400,000 people who are going to be receiving the free GP you know they're very much welcoming the news that they're getting a, a free GP card but it's going to put this huge huge additional pressure on a system that really in parts of the country seemed to already be creaking. Patients are already relying more on out of hours late night services. The likes of what we have here in Cork is South Dock and South Dock was never set up to deal with patients who can't get to see a doctor during the day. It was set up for emergencies out of hours which were giving the GPs a break so that they weren't getting called in the middle of the night. But what's happening is now more and more people are going to South Dock. We only heard this week of one person who contacted her doctor with two smallies, couldn't get an appointment and was advised to uh, contact South Dock and then she had a problem she couldn't get through to South Dock either because all of their lines uh, were busy. Now according to the Irish College of General Practitioners one solution for patients would be the recruitment of more GP nurses because if you had more GP nurse GP the nurses the practice nurses working they could take care of some of the routine stuff I mean the cervical smears they could look after chronic diseases like COPD obviously they're fantastic for taking the bloods checking on blood pressure etc and that could take pressure away from the GPs which would allow the GPs then to focus on the more urgent care now it seems that the Department of Health is preparing a task force on the future of general practice. That's what the committee heard yesterday and that's expected to begin work in January. Can I say, because I've been talking about the problems with GP practices for a number of years uh, now, that task force, when it kicks off in January, will be long, long overdue. But then you worry how long will the task force take and will it be one of these wonderful big reports will come out that will then be put on a shelf that will dust off when another task force decides we need to do something else. We need to move, we need to act.
and we need to act very quickly and we need to start encouraging more of the younger doctors to look at general practice and to encourage them and to put whatever in whatever is needed in place to incentivise the younger doctors to consider general practice. Now, Cork-based CyberSkills has launched a national service with the Gardaí to help online shoppers check the legitimacy of websites before buying any items. To discuss Check My Link, joined by Dr Donna O'Shea and Donna is Chair of Cybersecurity at MTU. Good morning to you, Donna. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the program. Is it fair to say that these hackers are getting better, and many of these sites look like the real thing? Yeah, I mean, the reality is, um, scams are constantly evolving, and new ones emerge on a daily basis. And a common ingredient in all scams is that they generally use social engineering and human behaviour techniques to target individuals. And this Christmas, scammers and fraudsters will attempt to exploit the fact that more of us are basically under pressure financially with increased energy costs and inflation and interest rates, meaning we have less money in our pockets. And they will try to exploit our natural behavioural response in becoming savvier with our money and seek bargains and sales in online shopping. And cyber criminals know this. And they basically try to create fake websites that look real, enticing people to take risks and purchase online using these fake sites. And that's the challenge that we have, Patricia. Yeah, and that's why if an offer pops up that seems too good to be true, then it probably is too good to be true. Absolutely. And like, I mean, the goal of Ireland's Check My Link service is basically to provide Irish consumers and businesses with another simple tool so that they have more confidence when making online purchases. But the reality is this tool should be used, as you said already, in conjunction with other sensible measures. So the first thing I would say to consumers is basically to check the website uses HTTPS instead of HTTP. And this is clearly visible as basically a lock icon located next to the browser's location field and buy from reliable vendors, use credit cards or PayPal when shopping online. But Patricia, as you clearly said, you know, what we really ask consumers is to check and, and think twice if an offer is too good to be true, then it's most likely not true. It's yeah, false. yeah. Would, would you should you always avoid clicking on a website that comes up, say, on social media, tempting you to buy? Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I would say you have to check and and, and make your own um, judgment on whether a website is actually um, um, fake or whether it's actually real. And I guess the tool that we're actually launching as part of Ireland's Check My Link service is just another. Um, online service that you can use to actually verify that the website is actually um, fake or actually legitimate. Um, and Ireland's Check My Link service basically has been developed by CyberSkills, as you've already said, in collaboration with the Garda Síochána, SFI Research Centres, Connect, Confirm and Nero, Trend Micro and Scam Advisors. And, you know, for many of your con- listeners out there, they have visited websites that have promoted these deals at great prices and they have taken risks and purchase a product, even though they weren't familiar with the websites. But I'm sure for that, for many other of your listeners, they have received links via their text message or, you know, and, and they've wanted to check whether this link is actually fake or real. Mm. And for these listeners, Ireland's Check My Link service should be of interest to you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's available live and, and check that service. Just, just to explain to listeners how the service works. Yeah, so it's, it's a really simple service. Anybody can use it. Um, all they have to do is basically type check.cyberskills.ie into their web browser and the user is then presented with a, a, search, a search bar basically prompting them to insert the name of the website they want to check. 
Um, and once they insert this website or the link, they press return. And this uses an algorithm to generate a trust score, a rating and report for the website. Um, and the algorithm that is used to generate this report is backed by Scam Advisor. And one of its key features is basically what we call a website rater, which evaluates a website trustworthiness. And the aim here, as I said, is to increase consumers' confidence that the website is legitimate and not infected with malware and to help consumers make the right choices when shopping online. Yeah, and it's, it's I went on it yesterday. It's so simple to use and, and it, it all happens so, so quickly. Can it check websites all over the world, Donna? Absolutely. Yeah. It can check websites all over the world. So any website, whether it's Irish or EU or a global website, um, can be checked. And the algorithm is constantly updated um, via uh, um, every day. Um, and, and, and Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And basically, if, if a consumer basically uh, finds a scam, um, then Scam Advisor will basically um, update the algorithm and insert this fake, new fake website on a daily basis. So it's an algorithm that's constantly updated and it can be used on any global um, website. Yeah, Peter says whenever he's using a website, he always reads the reviews about that website. Would Donna agree that that's another good port of call? Yeah, I think that's another, um, I suppose, tool in your toolbox that you can actually use, um, you know, as part of, you know, developing online re- resilience. But I guess what users should be aware is that some reviews can be planted and can be fake. Mm. And it's just one tool in your toolbox. And this is, again, another tool in your toolbox with other sensible measures. Yeah, and I always think as well, you know, go with your gut. If you're if you're suspicious at all, just just walk away. Just just walk away. Because I mean, as you mentioned, we're all leading busy lives, and the fraudsters are are very much aware of that. And then there's going to be this bit of panic with a week to go um, to Christmas. Yeah. Do Do you expect we we could actually see an increase in fraudulent sites going into the last week of Christmas? I expect, and as I said already, you know, these scams are constantly evolving. New ones emerge on a daily basis. Um, as we as people get more desperate, I suppose, to, 
and last minute shopping and you know if they're looking for this hard to find item and they see this website that's offering this hard to find item at a bargain price you know they could be enticed to take more risk um but and and i suppose risk changes are normal behavior you know and that's the challenge that we have coming up to christmas and once a hacker gets in to your account they can clear your bank account pretty quickly can't they well i guess there are an awful lot of measures that um that the the various banks have put in place now to actually minimize and mitigate the risk of um i suppose uh, hackers getting into to bank accounts um such as two-factor authentication and everything but if a hacker does get in then obviously um funds are at risk and this is this is a daily this is a daily challenge for for banks will we ever see an end to fake websites or are they just too lucrative for the criminals um i think uh I, I'm not sure if we'll ever see um, an end to fake websites. I think anything that is lucrative and profitable, um, they'll always be, you know, they're very easy to create. It's very lucrative and profitable for cyber criminals. And they're always coming up with new and innovative ways um, to actually target individuals and citizens. And, and our best um, defense against these ongoing scams is just to be more aware and to be more resilient. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here with Ireland's Check My Link service. Well done. It, it just it frustrates me that these hackers can be so intelligent to come up with all of these new ways of trying to con people if they'd only use that intelligence level for good instead of for bad. What, what, what a better world we would live in. OK, so it's, so the website address again is? Is check.cyberskills.ie um, and it's available in Irish and in English well and done. it's live now. Well done, well done. Listen, it's fantastic and, and not before time, a lot of people will say. Thank you for that, Donna, Absolutely. and thanks for joining Thank us on the programme. Good morning Bye-bye. to you. That is uh, Dr. Donna O'Shea, who is Chair of Cyber Security at uh, MTU. And please, it is well worth popping on. Uh, check at cyberskills.ie and it's a simple tool comes up. You can put in the name of the website that you're checking out and instantly, it'll instantly come back up telling you whether it is safe or not. It's your hard-earned cash. Hang on to it. Uh, don't get conned by these fraudsters and people are the other one, you know, if, if they're not trying to hack and get into your account. What we've seen and we've heard from some of our listeners where they buy something. Remember the, the, the woman who bought the shoes and thought she did straight away say that when she saw these shoes advertised, how much cheaper they were on this website. Of course, when they arrived, she wasn't even able to wear them. They were a complete and utter tack that you were buying. So while it might look great on the website, what... Uh, what arrives in the post then is very, very different. Now, earlier this week, I spoke with Cork Airport about their plans for Christmas. And we discovered that additional cafes are now back up and running at the airport, which was thrilling to hear for a lot of our listeners. But that then led to a number of calls asking, when would Irish Rail bring back food and drink services on their trains? Well, it seems the topic was also raised at last Monday's meeting of Cork County Council. And the call came in from Fianna Fáil Councillor Sean O'Donovan, uh, who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome. Now, I'm assuming it was COVID. Was, was that the reason that the catering facilities were halted on all of our trains? It was. It was the mask wearing, really, and I think a lack of um, staff. There were the issues that fight was stopped. Okay, so people understood that and whatever. But you know, we're we're well moved on, thankfully, from COVID restrictions, and life is returning to some kind of normality. What reason are Irish Rail now giving for not reinstating that service? So I suppose Irish Rail are subsidising the um, the contractor doing the the catering service on board, and what they're saying is that the money they're getting from government now isn't enough to subsidise um, a company to take over the, the service on board. 
um, it wouldn't make it feasible basically for a company. But they are saying that it will return in 2023, early 2023, hopefully, but they're not, um, they haven't the contract tied down yet. So they're putting it out to tender? It goes out to tender, yeah. So it's it's yeah. not a profit-making venture, they reckon? That's what they're saying. Um, and, and the subsidy that they have um, isn't enough to encourage a company in to take it over, so... I'd, I'd, I'd have to question that, you know. Because if you were to travel from Dublin to Belfast, in which I'm right in saying Irish Rail is a partner, you Absolutely. can get you can get a full service there. You can. You can have your full Irish for breakfast or you can have your vegan curry at lunch. <laughs> you can have a glass of Merlot or Chardonnay and you can't get a bottle of water in the Republic. It's, it's just so, mad. It's a so, mad system. So if, if they can manage to do it on the other going out of Dublin, why, why can't they do it going going up to Dublin? Tell me, Sean, about the elderly couple you sat beside on the train from Dublin recently. So, Patricia, I was in Dublin there a few weeks back. Um, I got the six or the 5.50 train from Kent Station. Um, nothing open in Kent Station, no kiosk or cafe or anything, so you couldn't get a coffee or a bottle of water there. Um, all the way up to Houston, uh, no service on board. And I met this couple who were travelling up to Crumlin uh, to their grandchild. So we had a few words and had a lot of conversation that hour in the morning. And I happened to meet them again um, on the train down that evening. And they had been to Crumlin to their grandchild, um, who was terminally ill, and they were just out to think about them, and they were really, really upset. And the woman just said to me, she said, all I want, she said, the difference a cup of tea would make. She said, if I could, if I could just get it now, she said, well, it's, it's a disgrace that there's nothing on board. You can't even get uh, a cup of tea, you know. And they were really distraught. They had a really tough day. Um, and I, my heart just went out to them, like, you know. And I asked one of the stewards on board when we stopped at, um, I think it was Port Leash, um, was there time to run out to get a, a cup of tea for the lady or whatever but there wasn't because they had to keep the train on schedule obviously so I uh, I just think there's a disgrace really like that one service going north of the country and on the, on the Republic side then there's no there's no service you know God that's a heartbreaking story Sean isn't it? It was it was absolutely terrible yeah absolutely the poor so they, they went up on the train May, I got off the train, made the way over to Crumlin Street Children's Hospital to it's say gu- there, yeah. to say goodbye. Their to last, say goodbye to their, yeah, yeah. And we couldn't even get him a lousy cup of tea on the way back. God Absolutely, Almighty! Yeah, yeah. And it oh, just, God, it was just question what you know, what the world is coming to. I suppose when when the to me like Irish Rail should be accountable really, and, and the Minister for Transport should be accountable when. They're offering one service on one train and nothing on another one then, you know. Yeah, because I was even when, you know, when I was aware that you were going to be coming on to talk about uh, this topic today, I was even thinking, you know, this week, it's bitterly cold weather. And you could imagine getting on that early train in the morning. Oh, God, the, f- the one thing you'd want was a warm cup of tea or, or a cup of coffee. And Absolutely. Y- you know, unless you've packed your picnic in your flask, which most of us wouldn't be doing at that hour of the morning. And then someone else was making the point that tourists coming into this country, there was an American seemingly on the train who could not believe that he couldn't get a cup of coffee and a sandwich on the train. Absolutely. And I, I think there was a survey done by, I think it was the Irish Times there recently, and out of 15 countries in Europe, um, Irish Rail are the only one not offering a, an onboard service, you know. 
That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? It is very embarrassing when we're doing lots to encourage tourism and all that, and then we don't look after the tourists when they're here. We don't look after our own, I suppose, and, and the train service, not mind to say the tourists, you know. And if other countries can do it, and if we can do it successfully from Dublin to Belfast, then it's doable. It, you know, absolutely, it's absolutely not rocket doable. science. I, I, like it's it's very straightforward in, in my opinion. Like, and I know it goes to tender and all the rest of it. And if you know, if the subsidy that they're providing the the company isn't enough, like uh, I've called on on the Minister of Transport to increase that so to ensure that the service will be back immediately. And I mean, we're we're the the same Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, Green Party, Eamon Ryan, is actively encouraging us all to use public transport. Absolutely, and it's better for the environment and um, actively encouraged, as you say, and they're not providing the the whole service to us then, you know, so I think it's just very unfair and it's it's, it's just not on really. And there there is another side to this as well. There are some people who have medical needs, which means that they can't fast for long periods of time. There could be health implications for some people as well. There could, I suppose, and that just puts on extra pressure if you have to get the early train for a hospital or a doctor's appointment in Dublin, you know, it means if you're travelling from West Cork from, you know, the Bear Peninsula, whatever, you're up at two o'clock in the morning to get to the train at um at five, half five or whatever and it means you have to have your flask and your sandwiches and all that, so it's just putting extra pressure on everybody, yeah, you know. Yeah. Okay, so you're gonna follow up your you, you sound like you're not letting this one go, Sean. Oh absolutely not. No. no. No, so we've written I got full support from cross party at the council meeting on Monday. And um, we're writing to Irish Rail and the Minister um, demanding the immediate reinstatement of this service, you know. OK, and I can see uh, texts flying in from people saying, well done to Councillor Sean O'Donovan. Uh, it's been a disgrace that we haven't had this service. And somebody else is saying, hasn't COVID been used to get rid of a lot of services that were in place? They were removed because of COVID. And now the, it's almost like the excuses stayed in place and we've forgotten about the uh, services. OK, uh, 0818103103. OK, we'll certainly get back to you on this one in the new year. But just while I have you on, Sean, on the programme yesterday, I was speaking with James uh, Casey of Casey's Bar and Restaurant in Clonakilty, a, um, a bar and restaurant I'm sure you're very familiar with. And I also had Katrina Toomey on from Cork Penny Dinners who both happen to be talking about how they're doing their own bit to give out free dinners, Christmas dinners uh, this year. And then I spotted on Facebook, you and your family, you also offer people Christmas dinners in the Bandon area. We do, Patricia. We've been doing it for a long number of years. Um, I suppose it's just people who find it tough at Christmas I suppose and some people just are a little bit proud and they're afraid to ask like one of the, the charities or penny dinners or whatever you know so um, we do it very discreetly um, make the dinners at home and I must say this year now since since it's been on social media I've had a number of um, people contact me offering to cook whatever we need cooked as well or make desserts or whatever Brilliant. or even people offering to do deliveries in the afternoon um, so if there's anyone out there listening that um, that uh, wants us to make dinner and deliver to them, uh, just contact me on social media and my mobile. Or I'm sure if they contact you there, Patricia, Abs- you can hundred percent, hundred percent, we'll we'll pass you on. It's just and it's in the general abandoned area. Did you, yeah, the general abandoned area, like sort of within ten miles, you know, because obviously it's Christmas Day and we all have families that we want to be around and stuff. So. And it's kind of it's in the afternoon that we'll deliver, you know, dinner and dessert and stuff to people. So, 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 um, so you cook up the dinners with all all the trimmings. 
Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then yeah. plate them up and and drop them around to people's houses. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We've, as I said, we've been doing it a long number of years. So that's incredible. That's well, because I mean, this is this is out out of your own, and it's your sister is involved with you as well, is it? My sister Kay is yeah. involved as well, yeah. And it's out yeah. of your own kitchen you're doing it. It is, yeah. That's it is. just that's it. And how and you say you've been doing it for a number of years? Yeah, we've been doing it probably maybe fifteen years or something, you know. So would you have regulars at this stage you'll be expecting? We, we do, <laughs> we do, we do. We have regulars, yeah, yeah, and we're very glad to have them, you know. So it's only a small little thing to do on Christmas Day for people, so... Well, I mentioned um, when I was talking with James from Casey's Bar, you know, he was saying that the reason they started it was, you know, there was just some elderly people coming to their bar for food and they would be living on their own. And I was saying, if you're living, if I was even living on my own, you wouldn't go to the bother of cooking a full Christmas dinner you for yourself. absolutely, no. Um, and I know some people like that um, that have been in contact in the last uh, two weeks now. Like they'd get um, kind of a ready meal or something, and they'd just eat it in the microwave on Christmas Day. And that's not good either because you know, it's, it's Christmas Day; it's a special day. Like so, um, and nourishment and stuff as well. They obviously need fresh veg and all that, you know. So and you need the turkey and the ham. You do. You do. And you have yeah. the Brus- the Brussels sprouts. Oh. Couldn't go without the Brussels sprouts. <laughs> <laughs> stuffing? Yeah, absolutely. Fa- all the trimming. Family yeah. recipe for the stuffing. We're not giving that one out. And That's desserts as well. Yeah, my mother's recipe. Yeah, is it? So, is it? Yeah. Is it? Well done. Well done. There's, no, there's nothing like Mammy's stuffing. Yeah, Listen, I, it's fabulous. It's it's fantastic. And as I say, if anybody wants to contact us in the Bandon area, we'll be more than willing uh, to facilitate passing on, on the details. But listen, happy Christmas uh, to you, uh, Sean. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. OK, Thank good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Bandon-based uh, Cork County Councillor Sean O'Donovan. Isn't there so much kindness out there? We're just, we are an incredible county and, you know, a lot of it goes on just quietly. People don't even know what's happening. But uh, we, you know, with and I think this year with so many people struggling, that's what I'm always saying to people to reach out. There are people willing to help and, you know, they, there isn't a big fanfare done about it. It's done very quietly. When I was speaking with James from Casey's Bar yesterday, he was saying, you know, they do theirs very quietly. Somebody comes in to collect the dinner. It's all done. Oh, on there now and I'll get that for you. You know, nobody would even know who's getting dinners and who's not getting dinners and they just do it all very almost anonymously and there isn't a big hoo-ha about it and people aren't going around looking for pats on the back or and we great they just go about their work and they do it quietly um, it's fantastic it is fantastic You're listening to Cork Today on Replay phone and text lines are currently closed some of your calls and comments uh, coming in. Uh, Jim picking up on my story to do with the no facilities on the train. If you're going on the train from Cork to Dublin and you can't get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Wasn't well, that such a sad story, can I say, that um, Sean O'Donovan told about that couple, the elderly couple going up to say goodbye to their their grandson. Imagine that getting on the train, knowing, getting on the five to six train in the morning to spend the day in Crumlin and then he just happened to meet them again on the way back and they were you know the terminally ill little little fella and saying goodbye and then all, all the woman wanted was a cup of tea it would really break your heart God, families have just 
Such a, such a difficult Christmas, won't it? a difficult year so many families have. Anyway, Jim says it's a disgrace, all right, that there's no food or drink service on our trains. And yet we have Eamon Ryan, the Minister for Transport, encouraging us all to use the said same public transport. But as Michael O'Leary of Ryanair says, Eamon Ryan is too busy going around opening up cycling lanes. And some of those cycling lanes don't even continue very far. And guess what? The cyclists end up either using the streets or the footpaths again. I know you'd have to question some of those cycle lanes when you're driving around you'd spot a cycle lane that'll just go on a couple of yards and then it disappears I, I never I never understand why or who put that in as part of their plan and Tess was also listening to Councillor Sean O'Donovan at the end I asked Sean about that act of kindness that he and his sister um, gets involved with with giving out Christmas dinners to people in the Bandon area did you say they've been doing it for 15 years incredible Tess says wasn't that just so lovely to hear that story of kindness with the Christmas uh, dinners in Bandon uh, we do get to hear and rightly so about the larger charities and all the work they do and how they are supported and that's good and proper as well but as you say there's always lots of really good kind people that nobody knows about and they go about doing their work you know quietly and and uh, it's just fantastic. Tess says it's, and it's, and I think it's great to acknowledge it. That's why when when I spotted it on Facebook, and then Sean happened to be on about a different issue, I said I couldn't let the moment pass without giving a mention. He wasn't, he wasn't, he he definitely wasn't looking for any publicity around it. It was just I happened to see it on his uh, Facebook page. And actually, you know what we've decided to do because a lot of people are saying what a gorgeous, lovely thing for that family to do in Bandon to help out other people in their area. We have these 50 euro super value uh, gift cards that we're giving away across between now and Christmas. And we're giving it away to kind of say thank you or if we think people are going above and beyond, it's a little bit, you know, 50 euro. Here's a little 50 euro just uh, to help you. So what we've decided to do, we're going to contact, I'm going to get John Paul uh, to contact uh, Councillor Sean O'Donovan to say we'll, we'll get him one of these 50 euro e-cards and he can put it towards the cost of the Christmas dinners that he'll be cooking for the good people in the Bandon uh, area and we're only too delighted to do that with a reminder to you that we want to give some of these vouchers away as a kind of a thank you uh, to people and we're throwing it over to you the listeners as well if there's somebody in your life who deserves a thank you or someone in your area or in your locality who deserves a thank you it can be a very kind neighbour it can be a family member it can be a parent a son a daughter a teacher a work colleague just somebody who you like to publicly say thank you to and uh, at the same time we could give them one of these 50 euro super value uh, gift cards and they're actually the e-cards we're giving so we're, we're going to need email addresses in order to email them to the person that uh, wins so that's why if you could email us your stories if you have a story to share you can email patricia at c103.ie or email cork today at c103.ie and just outline why you think the person that you're nominating, why why you would like to say thank you to them. And what we'll do is across next week, we'll try to read out as many of them as we can as well because it's always nice to be publicly acknowledged even though everyone mightn't be able to win a prize but it's just to be publicly acknowledged that there is somebody saying thank you, you've done, you've done something really nice. So if you could email or write to us, you can write to Patricia Messenger C103 at Ghouls Hill in at Mallow. But we'll give, we certainly will give one of those vouchers uh, to Sean and to his sister just to put towards the cost. It'll just delay so you might buy a turkey or you might buy buy a, buy a load of Brussels sprouts now wouldn't you get a lot of Brussels sprouts for uh, 50 euro and I have to say I am one of the fans of the Brussels sprouts I know everybody 
there are some people absolutely will go green as the Brussels sprouts are at the thought of putting a Brussels sprout uh, on their plate but I'm a big fan particularly roasted Brussels sprouts absolutely adore them so that's it's something I certainly look forward to on as part of my Christmas dinner 0818103103 I can see questions coming in by the way for Jane Pickett our resident vet can you keep those coming in to us please because Jane will be joining us in a couple of minutes if you have a pet question you can call John Paul at 0818 103 103 or you can text our WhatsApp to 086 103 103. Joe was saying in Houston Station at the moment waiting oh he's at Houston Station at the moment waiting on the train listening to us on the C103 app. Oh, good afternoon to you Joe at Houston Station. He says the enterprise is run totally by a Northern Ireland operator. Oh that's the that's the train from Dublin to Belfast. He was speaking to staff in Irish Rail, but he says one of the big issues is staffing. They can't get staff to work. Joe says he was talking to a garage owner and he's asked him, why does he have so many staff? And he said 18 are rostered, but they are they only work 20 hours a week. If they go over the 20 hours a week, they lose their benefits. So isn't it awful that the Irish simply don't want to work, says uh, Joe. And it is the explanation why in certainly in a lot of hospitality, you'll see a lot of non-Irish people working because Irish people don't want to do a lot of those jobs. And that's what always annoys me when you hear people giving out about immigrants and we have too many immigrants coming into this country. If we didn't have, if we, if, if in the morning a decision was made that everyone had to go home to their place of birth, this country would literally grind to uh, a halt. So there is, and I know there, there was a problem before, even before COVID with getting staff to work in the, in the catering facilities on the train. But maybe if that is the issue, do they need to look at the paying conditions in order to encourage people to take up these jobs? 0818103103. Tim says it's the increase in the population is the contributing factor to the issues with uh, doctors. Those coming in seeking asylum get instant access to GPs, putting the service under pressure. Why are we training all of our doctors and nurses so that they can travel abroad? If the system is under pressure, we need to put a, a cap needs to be put on this. Now, I don't know if it's a cap um asylum seekers you're talking about are a cap on doctors and nurses leaving the country I'm a little bit unsure but when we last looked at the amount of people that have come back into this country a huge proportion are Irish immigrants who went overseas at some stage to get experience life experience work experience and a lot of them are coming back as well so that's another reason that our population has increased it isn't all down to uh, immigrants and of course by having a rising uh, population that means more people go out to work there is more money goes into the exchequer and we become a booming economy 0818103103 and just talking of well, this isn't asylum seekers this is to do with Ukrainians arriving in this uh, country I was reading before I came on air today that Ukrainians are going to be urged to avoid coming to Ireland for a three week period and obviously we know the reason for this we have an accommodation crisis now it seems it was the immigration minister Roderick O'Gorman and he's responsible for those fleeing war into this country um, along with officials from his department they held a meeting with the Ukrainian ambassador to Ireland yesterday the ambassador said she was informed by the minister to spread 
awareness to Ukrainians that it will be difficult to find accommodation in Ireland between now and into the new year. So kind of for the next three weeks, a spokesperson for Minister O'Gorman said the warning over the shortage of accommodation for Ukrainians is going to remain in place until at least the 13th of January. The spokesperson says once there is a shortage of accommodation, it then places pressure on the City West Transit Hub and time and time again, that transit hub has become full. The availability of staff over the Christmas period, obviously staff need to take holidays. That's going to put additional pressure on trying to source accommodation. So the ambassador now is going to share this news via the embassy's social media platform, warning Ukrainians who are thinking of coming to Ireland that if they do arrive here, they may not be accommodated. There was a recommendation given to postpone arrivals to the city West Hub until after Christmas. Now this is the second time that the ambassador has been asked by the Irish government to let Ukrainians know that there may they may not be accommodated if they travel to Ireland and that there really literally is at this time of the year no room at the inn. A department spokesperson confirmed the government is still expecting that the total number of Ukrainians will hit the €70,000 mark by the end of this year. And the Ukrainian ambassador speaking to Kira Phelan, the political correspondent of The Examiner, said she understands the problems with accommodation in Ireland and that the government is facing major challenges. She also said that she is satisfied with the government's response, providing shelter to the tens of thousands of Ukrainians that have arrived here already. And she said, I know that the government is facing challenges with accommodation. And she said, I'm fully aware that Ukrainians are coming to Ireland and they're coming because winter has really set in in her country. And there's also a complete destruction of critical infrastructure in Ukraine. You know, and she went on to talk about the fact that 50% of the infrastructure has been destroyed in the uh, Ukraine and that is leaving millions of Ukrainians who are living in freezing, freezing cold temperatures without electricity, water and supplies. So you can absolutely understand why people who have stuck it out for so long are deciding that they're going to pack pack up and uh, leave. And of course, if they already have contacts here or they've heard from people here, you can understand why they head to a country that has always been so welcoming of the Ukrainians. And I was hugely saddened, actually, to read early this morning that Moscow has said no Christmas ceasefire was on the cards. The, the, the war now has been going on for 10 months and they rejected a call by Kiev to start withdrawing troops by Christmas as in a step to try to end what has been our Europe's biggest conflict since World War uh, Two, And uh, unfortunately, there's no talks being engaged at the moment to try to end the fighting. And the fighting is raging in the east and south and little movement from either side. But I think world leaders were hoping that there would be some kind of a Christmas ceasefire. God knows we've seen that in former wars. But Russia have come out and said absolutely no way to a Christmas ceasefire. Shame on them all. 0818103103. Our lines are open. We are in particular, please, looking for your pet questions for Jane Pickett. You can text her WhatsApp 0862.
103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. And I've one cancellation for tonight. That's the Cork Cultus Convention that uh, is postponed and they've rescheduled the date to next Monday the 19th at 8pm. And obviously that's due to the uh, weather forecast. Bingo in Mallow GAA Complex tomorrow night, Friday, 8.15. That's going ahead at the moment. Jackpot, €4,100. All funds raised go directly into the running of the GAA Club and the teams for the coming year. There's also Bingo on in Timolee tomorrow night, half past eight. They're also having a Christmas raffle and spot prizes. There will also be extra prize money added. All are welcome. Now, Kildallery Bingo was due to take place tomorrow, Friday. They've decided to cancel and they're apologising for any inconvenience caused. And Santa has rescheduled his visit to Union Hall and will now arrive this Saturday, the 17th of December. He arrives by boat into Union Hall at half past one to greet all of the children. There will be live music and real live alpacas all at Reen Pier and that has been changed. It was due to be held on Sunday but they're moving it back. Santa's got a busy diary and he needs to come a day early to Union Hall so it'll be on Saturday at instead. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie I've just sent a text in from somebody saying to please that somebody's been out driving just to let drivers know to slow down please especially when driving from the Dublin side of Fomoy because there is the sun shining is shining directly into drivers eyes it's winter sun it's a low sun and it can be really really blinding uh, Martin said I had a near miss a few minutes ago when a big van nearly hit my car head on so slow it down and be particularly aware and careful it is a lovely sunny day it's a beautiful winter's day out there except it's bitingly cold but that sun can make driving very difficult as well thank you for that Martin and stay safe. Now, as we know, and I mentioned this earlier, we woke this morning to the devastatingly sad news that a 23-year-old Irish soldier serving with the UN peacekeeping mission in Lebanon had been killed and another has been seriously wounded. Well, the defence forces have confirmed the names of the individuals involved uh, this morning and the killed on active service was Private Sean Rooney. He is from um, Newtown Cunningham in County Donegal and then injured on active service. It's one of our own. It's uh, Private Shane Carney who is a 22-year-old and he's a native of Killa in County Cork. Now, Deputy James O'Connor been a fall deputy for Cork East is also a native of Killa and James joins me this afternoon good afternoon to you James uh, good afternoon Patricia and, and you know when I heard this news uh, this morning I mean my thoughts straight away went to the families and I was thinking oh please God don't let this be will this will this come to, to one of ours because I was thinking of families I'm assuming a knock on the door in the very small hours of this morning to be told this uh, news I mean firstly deepest sympathies I suppose to the Rooney family Exactly. I think it's it's shocking uh, what has happened. Uh, many people here in Leinster House, which where I am today, um, are absolutely appalled um, at what is actually happening. And we just had a minute of silence um, for uh, the gentleman who has been bereaved. It's, it's an extremely sad day uh, for the entire country. Uh, and my heart goes out to Mr. Rooney's family. Um, and unfortunately, uh, as has now become known uh, uh, through the statement to the Defence Forces, um, is that we do know that uh, unfortunately there's a, there is a young gentleman from the East Cork area 
uh, Mr. Carney, who's been involved as well. Uh, it, I suppose it's deeply saddening, but what we want to say is that all of the community in East Cork and, and across the country are standing in solidarity uh, with, with Shane's friends, his family, uh, and the wider community and the people of Killa. Yeah, and I was just reading online that um, Shane, while in a serious condition, he has undergone surgery. So just thoughts and prayers that he just makes a full, full recovery. Did you know, do you know Shane? He's a 22-year-old. Do you know him? Do you know his family? I did. I you know do? his family. Do you? Okay. Just wonderful people and salt to the earth. And they're just absolutely dedicated to the community in Kidda. And they're involved in our community. Uh, it's very small, but very close, kid-knit community. Uh, and it's important to say that uh, they've uh, they've been uh, a huge, they've made a huge contribution to our local area as a family, and um, it's just so saddening uh, with this news. We all really do hope and pray that the shame will pull through uh, tonight under the leadership of Father Tim Hazelwood in Killa and Saint uh, John the Baptist Church or Parish Church. Um, uh, we'll be led prayer tonight uh, for Shane and for his his, uh, his his colleagues in the Defence Forces after this a very serious incident. And that will take place tonight at 7.30 and um, there'll be a number of Defence Force personnel in attendance and uh, uh, it'll be an opportunity for our local community to come together in support uh, of Shane and in support of his family and his friends. Yeah, it's a, a, a tough time now for, for the family. I mean, all they, all they want is to get Shane home safely so that he can make a, a full recovery and for everybody to please keep Shane and his family in your thoughts and in your prayers. And I know I saw Killer GAA actually share about that service tonight because um, Shane is a member of Killer GAA. That's right. I yeah. played underage hurling with, uh, with Shane. His goal uh, and, uh, when I was playing underage hurling in East, with Killer. Uh, and of course, look, the, the GA in Killa is, is very much the, the focal point of our, of our small parish uh, community. Uh, we've had many, many uh, good intercounty hurlers that come from, from, from East Cork, but particularly from Killa. Uh, and of course, uh, they, they're helping uh, with the organising of tonight's vigil. Uh, so it will be an opportunity, of course, for the community to come together as one in support um, of the family and, and, and support of Shane. And, and I have to say, you know, it's every uh, family and community's worst nightmare for something like this to happen. Um, and, and we are all thinking of them as a very sad and difficult time. We just rose in the doll uh, for a minute's silence uh, for, 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 the, for the poor gentleman, uh, Mr. Rooney, that died. Uh, and it's important to say that we are thinking of, of the other soldiers. Um, unfortunately, there's a number of soldiers uh, from East Cork are on deployment in the Lebanon. It must be a desperately difficult situation. For yeah, them, and so close. And you know, at any time of the year, this this isn't the news you want to hear. But just it it always seems worse just so close to Christmas. It certainly does, and and you know the fact that we so many from from our local area, from our constituency out there, from from Collins's barracks. You know, it's, it's a very very challenging day for everybody in the defence forces, but for the defence forces community in in the East Cork area. Uh, it's quite large, and, and, and I think it's for them. This is a very, very sad day. Yeah, and and you know, the, you know, and I said it in the introduction. They're out there. They're peacekeepers. This, this is unusual for this to happen to a group of peacekeeping soldiers. It, it really is. You know, for decades, Ireland has built up a reputation as being one of the best peacekeeping forces in the world. We are trusted around the world. Countries want us to be involved when they do need the assistance of our UN peacekeepers and people who have worn the Blue Beret. I think it's important to recognise the contribution that has been made. Uh, and this incident today, today has struck a chord with so many people who have worn the uniform, who have served in our defence forces. And, you know, for them, this is an exceptionally, exceptionally sad day. As I said, it's the worst nightmare for, for anybody, for any community to hear uh, this type of news.
Okay. Uh, and it's important that we recognise the contribution that the defence forces have made in peacekeeping down through the many years that they've been involved in places like Chad, uh, in places like uh, the Lebanon, and and, and will and will continue to do. We're, you know, we're, no, we're known will. around the world as uh, some of the best uh, peacekeeping force. So church service, kill a church tonight at half past seven uh, under the leadership of the, of the great father, Tim, just to pray for Shane, that he makes a full recovery and you know for his family as well. They're going to need a lot of support in the coming days and uh, weeks. So that's open to everyone tonight in Killer at half past seven. Listen, James, thank you for that. And thanks for taking time out to talk to us today. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good afternoon to you. And I saw the president, Michael D. Higgins, uh, he said earlier that it was the... the deepest sorrow that he was informed of the young soldiers uh, deaths and he said loss of life serving the people of Ireland to the UN and all those wishing for peace in our shared world and yeah and let us let us remember Private Sean Rooney in our thoughts and prayers as well may he rest in peace 0818 103 103 John Paul continues to take your calls we are looking for your pet questions please if you want to keep those uh, coming in to us I just want to give a very quick uh, text that came in earlier that is worthy of a mention and this is to do with uh, some people who will be on their own at Christmas and this is certainly worthy of reading out because there will be a number of people that will identify with this says hi Trish I'm here again fighting for the happy loners who will be alone on Christmas Day not everyone who lives alone has a lonely Christmas just because you're on your own it doesn't mean you shouldn't make the effort to celebrate our Lord's birthday I'm in my 60s and I always do a full Christmas dinner I just do it on a smaller scale I pull a cracker with myself and I set fire to the Christmas pudding etc I'll bake half a dozen mince pies on Christmas Eve and I'll sing my head off to carols on the radio and on the TV I'll watch films while eating Quality Street and Tangerines and I remember Christmases gone by and then I'll light a candle for absent friends. Not everyone on their own is sad at Christmas, you know. Actually, we don't have to put up with the stresses that others do and can actually enjoy a day full of me time. And that is very, very well put. And actually, when I was reading that text, it got me thinking, God, I'm nearly almost jealous. I, don't, I can't tell you when I would, would have gotten a 24 hour period. That's just me and nobody has to think about but me. So you're right. You're right. There are others. Listen, I absolutely accept there are others who hate being on their own, but it doesn't mean for everyone who's on their own. Some people do it by choice. And that's why. And I know next Tuesday when we'll talk with Joe Heffernan about, you know, I mean, in particular about bereavement, but around the stresses and strains of Christmas we touched on it this week as well when people start putting pressure on somebody to say you have to join us for Christmas you can't be on your own for Christmas there are people like our listener who genuinely do like the idea of having a day completely on their own with no stresses and strains they can eat when they want to eat they can eat whatever they want to eat they can sing as loud as they want and they've got full access and full control of the remote control of the TV they don't have to watch a movie that has been voted in by consensus they can literally watch what they want to watch it doesn't sound that bad at all thank you for that and can I wish you a very happy and what sounds like is going to be a very peaceful Christmas day to you 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls and Mary's just sent a quick text in saying Patricia will you mention that the students of the Cork School of Music will be performing in Tomes Church Kilmichael tomorrow night at uh, 7pm all are welcome Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of 
with McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And we are heading off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett joins me. Uh, good morning to you, or good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let me get straight into uh, questions. Maura in Liscar. I have a 12-week-old black Labrador pup. She has lots of tiny white patches. Someone said that that's due to fleas. Now, I've checked. She doesn't have any fleas since I bought her home. I think the spots actually look cute. But I'm wondering if, you, if Jane would have any clue what's causing it. She actually looks like a Dalmatian in a negative, if you know what I mean. Hmm. That's really, really interesting. So well done on getting a lovely new pup. I hope it settles in really, really well into your new home. Um, it, it's an interesting one. If it is really within the hair, and spots that you're seeing, the white spots are here. So Dalmatian in reverse, as you say, then that could just be really normal pigmentation change. And I suppose like, like you or I, we all have different colors of hair, different patterns, and dogs are exactly the same, even within the same breed, particularly if there's maybe a bit of a mix down the line um, somewhere in their heritage. So it is possible if the, the white patches are just white hair, then that could be very normal for the pet. As long as you haven't seen any signs of itching or scratching or discomfort, I wouldn't be too concerned. Now, if the white patches that you're seeing are white skin with no hair on them or a little bit of white dandruff, that's a little bit different. So fleas would normally be kind of black dirt, so it wouldn't be white. But we can get other types of, of mites, one particularly called uh, Calatiella, which is affectionately known by vets as walking dandruff, um, can sometimes happen, although it is a little bit rarer than our usual fleas, fleas and ticks. Um, but if it is just the hair that's white, you may be absolutely fine. And I hope you have a lovely time settling in with the pup. But if you are concerned, re itching, or if there's a scurf, or if it's white patches of skin, then I'd advise you see your vet just to get it double checked out for peace of mind. Okay. Hi, uh, Patricia and Jane. I have a one year old puppy. It's a Yorkie poo. Uh, he never stops licking. Is there anything I can do to stop him from doing this? Okay, so if he's, it depends on what he's licking really as to whether it's an issue. If he's licking at himself, so on his feet, on his belly, for example, then that could be a sign of itching. Um, now, in younger dogs, it's less common. It usually appears kind of between one, two, three years of age into middle age. If they do have skin issues that are, let's say, an allergy, for example, but other causes of itching, for example, mites, lice, um, fleas can cause a licking because if you think about it we classically think about dogs scratching as scratching with a back foot that's what we all think of but realistically they itch with their with their with their tongue essentially because they'll they'll itch at the bits that are easy to get to on them so a really common thing that we see with itchy dogs when they have a skin issue is licking at the feet incessantly some people say to me erish or he's only bored but that's really uncommon in dogs and really uncommon in cats stereotypical licking let's say as a boredom behavior is is far less common than an itchy dog that's presenting with licking now if he's licking other things your hands or your face for example or licking objects that could just be him exploring the world around him. And as long as he's not putting himself in any danger and the licking isn't progressing to eating things that he shouldn't, then I wouldn't be too concerned. So it really depends on what exactly he's licking. If he's licking himself, I'd be I'd be worried about him being itchy. And obviously none of us would want to see them being itchy and uncomfortable. So I think a visit to the vet if he is licking at himself would be the first protocol to get him checked out. OK, a 10-year-old Springer who struggles to breathe occasionally 
should Paul and Dungarvan be worried? Um, if it's even if it's occasionally, particularly in an older dog, I would get it checked out. It could be something or nothing. Um, it can be like ourselves. Sometimes we can get a little bit caught for breath, but usually there's an underlying reason for that. In an older patient, it could be a number of things. They could have overexerted themselves. It could be a lung issue or a heart issue even, perhaps. Sometimes it can even be a problem with the airway itself, although a lot of those things would usually be continuous rather than intermittent. That said, I would say, you know, to put everybody's mind at rest and to make sure that your pet is okay as they're kind of entering their, their twilight years, I would visit the vet and raise your concerns with them. Keep a little diary of when it happens and try and think to yourself, well, is, is there any kind of precipitating event? So is there any event that happens just before the coughing uh, or just before the difficulty breathing um, that happens every time? So is there something that's that's triggering the event or is it pretty random? So does it happen at any time of the day or night when they're drinking, when they're eating or or if they're even just lying down? All of that information is really, really helpful to your vet because the pattern can really help us understand what might be going on. It may be that your vet recommends some tests. So maybe maybe even after a full physical exam, it might be that they want to take an X-ray of the chest or examine the throat. So very much be guided by them. I think there are a number of things that are going on. No need to worry unnecessarily until you have an answer. But I would say that this is something you need to act on. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore Um, Hi, Patricia, could you please ask Jane? We have a little Jack Russell. Had her at the vet, all up to date, a treatment for fleas, ticks, worms, etc. But she's still scratching like mad and biting where she's been str- scratching. So the vet reckons that she has atrophy and has recommended yeah. uh, Apoquel. But I've done mm-hmm. some research on it and there's a lot of bad side effects with this particular medication. Would Jane recommend a herbal or a homeopathic remedy instead? Because this dog is very prone to kidney infections. Okay, so well done for getting your pet checked out. I think certainly, you know, in 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 pets where we've tried first line treatment for parasites and the itching hasn't gone away, and sometimes after some further testing, we may suspect atopy. So atopy is just the fancy name for allergic skin disease or an allergy. Okay, quite common in dogs. Now there are a number of things that we can use to treat atopy and allergy, and I'd very much be guided by your vet in this situation. Um, Apoquel is something that we've had in our arsenal of medications for a few years now. It's a relatively new medication and certainly, like many other itching medications, our aim is really to give that pet relief from its symptoms of itching. So to give it a little bit of peace so it, it doesn't have to lick and bite it itself the whole time. And certainly, you know, many people have great success with that medication, as do many others. And, and I certainly have had myself. Now, I understand the concern after having a read online about side effects. There are side effects associated with pretty much every every medication we give these days. And that's because, you know, we have a really good reporting system in place so that any side effects are reported and picked up and logged. Um, but that does result in there being quite a long list of potential side effects associated with a lot of drugs. Um, so pretty much everything has some warnings attached. Really what I'd say is for you, it's a risk benefit. You're aware of the risks. You've read about them. Have a discussion with your vet about it. Um, and it always is really baying up the potential benefit for your pet in comfort versus the potential risks. Now, just a quick word about kind of homeopathic herbal medicines. It's not something I would advise. Now, I'm, I'm sure that some people have success with them, but for itching, we really need something to help that pet feel more comfortable. And really what we need is something that's scientifically proven to give them relief. And with herbal and complementary medicines, that's generally not the case. 
an additional thing that we are always concerned about um, as regards, I say, herbal homeopathic medicines is some of the medicines that you would read about that would be, let's say, purported to be uh, beneficial in humans for certain diagnosis are actually dangerous and or toxic poisonous to dogs and cats. And interestingly, we don't really have any information whatsoever on what is a safe dose or an effective dose for pets of homeopathic medicines. So really, it's something that I would say the risks of going down that route, in my own personal opinion, would usually outweigh using the product that may have some risks risks associated with it, but they're well documented and they're scientifically proven to be effective. But that that's a personal opinion. I think you, you have to be aware of, of the risks and benefits of both options and have a chat with your vet that knows your pet best um, and knows the situation itself. But best of luck with getting getting some comfort for your pet. Okay, and Peg was on her. She's a corgi mix, eight, eight and a half years old. He is wetting the floor. Now, he's eating and drinking fine. They walk morning and evenings. But she says, for example, three nights out of this week, when they get up in the morning, he's after wetting. And obviously, this is something new. He hasn't done it before. Why would an eight and a half year old dog suddenly start wetting at night? Okay, so there's a a few thoughts I'd have on this. One is that any change is something to be investigated, particularly in a middle aged to older dog. So I would say I, I wouldn't turn a blind eye to it, particularly as it's been kind of a few nights on the trot over the past week. I would have a suspicion that maybe he have he, he could have something like a bladder infection and that might be giving him a bit more of a sense of urgency so that he might be having an accident overnight in the house. Um, but the other thing I would suggest is it's been very cold in the past week. It is possible that he's just reluctant to go outside to do his business in his normal way over the course of the evening. So he's kind of holding it and he may be cut short overnight. So it could be the temperatures outside. But that said, I wouldn't like to do him the disservice of putting it down to our cold, cold snap that we're currently having if the poor boy might have a bit of a urine infection. So I'd say to be on the safe side, I'd take a trip to your vet. If you can even collect a urine sample as well from something he's peed outside or on the floor, I normally catch it with an old clean lunchbox and bring that to your vet at the time of your appointment. That's super, super helpful. Um, But if that's not possible, don't worry. Still worry. Still worth getting him checked out by your vet because urinary tract infections can be can be painful old things and um, so we just want to make sure that that's not the case for him okay all right that's where we wrap it up for today you'll be back with us next week for the last one of the year and of course every year on the last one we just give advice around christmas and the do's and don'ts and just to be very very careful uh, with pets around christmas jane thank you for that have a lovely week stay warm and we'll chat next thursday you too thank you thank very much thank you bye bye that is Jane Pickett at the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the uh, Mill Street uh, Veterinary uh, Group and that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you for the final one of the week tomorrow at 10am uh, until then I'm Patricia Messenger very good afternoon Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know to talk to cmig.ie Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.